Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me for another special interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. I have another amazing guest lined up for you today. She's a dear friend of mine and her name is Dr. Erin Haskell. Erin is known as the Doctor of Divinity. She's the founder and TV host of Good Morning La La Land. She's a best-selling author and has been featured on Forbes as one of the most inspirational female entrepreneurs to follow. I invited her today to talk about her intense spiritual quest, which led her to traveling around the world and discovering specific truths that I cannot wait for her to share with you today, specifically how to manifest and create more beauty, love, and joy in your life, the things we all deeply, deeply desire. Hi, Dr. Erin. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I am so grateful to have you. It is such a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah, you are one of my faves. You guys are amazing, extraordinary human beings. So it is an honor. Awesome. I'm so, so excited to have you because there are just so many parts of your practice and what you do that resonate so deeply with me and so many people in my community that are searching for happiness, fulfillment, purpose, joy, all of the things that you talk about all the time. So I wanted to kind of dive back in your own journey. I know that as you had shared, and we've talked about before, you had bulimia when you were younger. There were some different challenging moments that kind of brought you to where you are today. I know it's a long story, but I would love for you to just tap on some of those different experiences and what has really led you to this incredible work that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, for me, it's hard to say where the journey actually began. My, my real journey began at the age of 22. I was actually in nursing school at the age of 22 and I was full term. I was, I was nine months pregnant and I had read in the book, what to expect when you're expecting, if your baby stops moving inside of you, you should go get it checked out. So I went down to the doctor's office. It was like almost five o'clock and the doctor had already left, but the nurse was there. And I said, I don't know. You know, I just heard that if your baby stops moving inside, you should go you know, get it checked out. So no big deal. We'll get it checked out. So she took me in the back room and she put lube on my belly for an ultrasound. And right away, we realized that there was no heartbeat. We could see the monitor. Mm -hmm. So she called the doctor and said, he'll meet you over the hospital. And we went over and he did a full ultrasound and realized, he said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry, but your baby has died inside of you. And you can either go home and you know, go into labor or you can be induced. And so I was like, what? wait, my baby's died inside of me and now I have to give birth to his dead body. Okay, let's do this. So we went in and got induced. And at that point in time, they have you, you know, grieve your baby once you birth his body, then you take pictures with your dead baby, you bathe your dead baby and you go home without your dead baby. So the next day I woke up a bit insane to say the least. And I went down to the mortician's house and 
thought I should get some more pictures because that was that loony. And the mortician said, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, but your baby's been in formaldehyde for 24 hours. And so I mean, you can take the time to grieve. So we set up this room and I went down into this basement, into this room in the basement, the red drapes. And he closed the door behind me. And I just had one of those moments. I was in the room with this hospital bed in the middle and just looking over his body and realized you're just crying and feeling so alone and just thinking, if there is a God, how could it be so cruel? And mm. and I just realized in that moment, all of a sudden, it was like a flash of light. And I realized he's gone. His body's here. We're not these bodies. And it sent me on a major commitment in that moment that I decided I don't care what I do in this lifetime. I've got to figure out my spiritual nature. And I think it's important to know that because I had dealt with bulimia before that. And the point is, is that I had been raised in a very chaotic childhood. I had no rules. No one ever told me what life was about. I had no guidance. And going through bulimia and date rape in high school and all the things that we deal with, the body image things and the low self-esteem and everything else, it wasn't until I really dove into our spirituality and the real questions of life that I was healed and that, you know, I live a life beyond really my wildest dream. So sorry to be so long with that story, but no, yeah, it just, such a profound story that sometimes it takes us going to this depth of pain and confronting death and confronting our moral mortality and confronting our lives to really say, okay, what are the next steps? So in that process, what were the things that you started to do and integrate and sure. You know, when I had dealt with bulimia, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was from 17 to 20. And I just remember it started as fun and games, like as, you know, a 16 year old, like with your girlfriend who you wanted, you know, you try all these little diets because you're kind of just obsessed with trying to be accepted by everyone. And then, you know, you play around thinking, then we can eat a donut and we can puke. Oh, this is fun. You know, and then it went into, I can't stop. And I started isolating and isolating, getting sicker and sicker. And of course, as we know, it comes down to self-love. It comes down to trauma. It comes down to everything else. So after I'd had the stillborn at 22, because I was bulimic from 17 to 20, and then I had my stillborn at 22, which sent me on my spiritual track. And it wasn't until I started doing my trauma, my deep trauma work, and realizing that the trauma of even, say, when my parents got divorced or the date rape or you know all the miscellaneous, we think of trauma as only for a war vet or a car accident. But trauma is an incident where you have a high, high state of negative emotion, and it's backed by a limiting belief you command in that moment, like, I'll never love again or I'm not enough, or whatever that is. So for me, in the healing, the process was really doing that trauma work and basically getting deep into steep in meditation and practices that began to take the veil off of things like I'm not enough, realizing that I am more than enough. I'm all of it. I'm one with everything, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you know, a long process, of course. And how did you have the courage to step into that work? Because I know, and what I see so often with clients, what I experienced in my own life was it took so many years to get to that place where I said, okay, I finally enough. Was it that experience itself? Or was there a moment where you said, okay, well, I just have to have the courage to confront trauma and to confront this sort of pain? I think it's a great question. I think you it's different levels. There's like, you think you decided and then you decide again and then you decide again, right? It's like, it's almost like it feels like the universe and life has you surrender Mm -hmm. again and again and deeper and deeper. So, you know, I think in that room in the basement in the mortician's house, I definitely made a commitment there for sure. 
But I think you have to go out in life and stumble some more and commit even deeper and things like codependency. You know, I feel like I've dealt with everything. I sort of like, when you think you're going to want to heal and really heal, it's a little scary because it feels like you get thrown even more problems sometimes because it's like a greater and deeper surrender over and over again. So I can't even count the ways of the times I've had to right. commit. And recommit and recommit. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that that's so often the case in the self-development work. It's like we're opening the wound, we're healing, and then we're opening another part of ourselves. We're shining light on something that needs another deep level of work. And it's it's that constant awareness that will never be done, but yet we're perfect in the moment, just as we are. And I think it's so incredible that you have the courage and continue to and share this light with so many other people and empower them to do this as well. On your website, you have this piece about, you know, if I was skinny enough, I thought it would be powerful. If I got validation from people, then I would fill a void. If I had the right relationship, then I would be enough. So like seeking all of these external pieces versus the internal work. And so when the internal work started to shift for you, what was the process of finding self-love and self-worth and self-esteem? And were there any tools or tips or anything that really helped you start to embody this internal work versus looking for the external for these things. Cause I think it's so profound. I think we're all in that state at some point in our lives where we think the external is going to bring us the fulfillment. But so often I think that that's the missing piece in the coaching practice. Very well said and and great question. I think that, you know, from my perspective, we are spiritual beings and we are directing energy. We're the backing of the energy. So anytime that we assign, we're so powerful as spiritual beings at the moment that we even consider ourselves to be the effect of anything out in the 3D realm, we disempower ourselves. We experience the experience of being disempowered. It's not the truth, but it's the experience of it. And so the tools that actually really helped me, which is really was when I became a first, a spiritual practitioner, which is, you know, a two, three, your program, depending on what you look at it. And what it is, is embodying the spiritual principles. So for example, never making anyone wrong is a spiritual principle or focusing on what you do want instead of what you don't want, or never placing your value or self-worth out in the world. You know, you know these truths and you can see through the veil. In fact, I remember years ago, I had been seeking all this work. I'd been meditating. I had had enlightenment moments. I knew the truth. I understood how energy worked, but I realized I wasn't applying it. I wasn't living it. There's a big difference between knowing the truth and living the truth. And so for me, self-love, everyone knows, duh, we need self-love, right? But to actually apply self-love is two very, very different things. And so I think for me, it just was about embodying. I still am. I'm not perfect. I'm still a human being. Otherwise, I would have graduated from here. But the gap between it has gotten much smaller. And I think it's really about embodying the principles. Yeah. Yeah. Like fully living the truth. This is just knowing, okay, this is what I should be doing. And there's a disconnect. And I also love what you said. I have a belief in the spiritual side and that we're spiritual beings and that when we truly connect to that, then it shifts everything. And we believe that we're worthy of what we're experiencing, then there's no disconnect, right? We're like, well, we're spiritual being. We're worthy of everything. We're worthy of the self-love, the self-esteem, the self-confidence, all the things that we can embody, but it's not enough to just know it. We actually have to go and have the courage and the confidence and the faith to go and live it every single day. And I also love this idea that 
when we get in touch with our soul's purpose, that's when we can overcome obstacles. And that's something you talk a lot about and something you've said. And I've read work of yours that has said that. And I believe that to be true very specifically when it comes to disordered eating and moving and taking care of your health and your well-being, because so many people feel they're up against this obstacle, but when they have something that's greater than themselves, then they can go out and actually accomplish it. So I wanted to hear your perspective of how you help people find this purpose. How do you help them? Oh yeah. It was great. It's one of my favorite things to do is birth people's purpose and calling. So society, we use kind of a process called the truth triangle. It's something developed over, you know, 24 years in this industry of looking at all the different things from Greek oracle processes to Socrates method to really distilling it down. What are we trying to do with all this, right? So we're trying to really rebirth the true identity is the primary work. All spiritual work is basically shedding off all false identity. So we're birthing the power, the true power that you already are, all releasing all limiting beliefs and things like that. The second things we do is we birth someone's passion, which means their relative truth. There's ultimate truths like energy can never be destroyed, things like that. But relative truths are things like, what do you specifically value? What works for you in relationship? What do you consider success? So we get down and we really uh, birth someone's values and what they're committed to and what really works for them. And then thirdly is we birth their purpose and calling. And this is one of the most, it's so fun when we get to that because it's so profound because there's a formula for birthing someone's purpose. And it, this isn't necessarily the truth, but it's a formula that has worked you know, with everyone I've ever worked with. And it goes like this. It's your triumphs plus your passion plus your skill set equals your purpose and calling. So what we do is we actually go into the suffering of this lifetime and all lifetimes. And epigenetics is actually proving that in your DNA is all memory, all good and bad memory from all lifetimes. Whether you believe in past lives, it doesn't matter because the DNA is obviously gone through all those lifetimes. So it's stored all the memory. And so we were this, we realize that all the suffering that you've gone through is your greatest blessing because it gets transcended into your purpose. So we take that suffering and we transform it into their triumphs and that triumph becomes the legacy. It's really what you're here to do. You're here to complete the cycle of your DNA and lead the legacy of your lifetime here. So it's this beautiful thing where all of a sudden people no longer look at the worst things that happen to them as a terrible thing. They actually shift it into looking at like it's their greatest gifts that they have. Wow. Wow. So it's triumphs, skill sets. Yes. And, and passion. Passions. That's it. This is incredible. And then when they figure it out, you know, when they go through this process, what has been some like moments that you've seen people just, is it like instantaneous where they step in and they recognize it and then all of a sudden they're taking a, like a leadership role in their life or is there still this process of having to break down their subconscious and their belief systems or... The purpose and calling is the last part of the truth triangle. So they've already gone through the trauma. They've already gone through birthing their values. So when it comes to their purpose and call, they're already really clear. Mm. Um, that's why we call it like a Greek meiotic process because it's a midwifery. We're midwifering their truth. So when they come to their purpose and calling, they've already gone through a lot of processes before that. And it's important because if they hadn't done their trauma, they wouldn't necessarily feel like they'd have you know a triumph over that suffering. So yeah. they have to go through that before they get to their purpose and calling. And then once they birth their purpose and calling, generally, at that 
point in time, then we put it into building their platform, their entrepreneurship, building their daily spiritual, but what are the principles they need to embody to become that leader, to teach that? How do we build them and have them be considered an expert in that field? Sometimes they've got to get some training, some more training around something and then leveraging themselves and understanding, creating the product around it and creating the platform and technology and all that. We go through the eight pillars of business with the sole entrepreneurs as well. So as you know, you know, this is a whole thing, you know, it's yeah. not like becoming a leader is not a little feat here. Okay. Exactly. It's not a thing. And I think that that's really important to point out is that from the work you've done your whole life, you know, most of the women in our community are continuing to do work on themselves. Oh, and we never end. And our students are our teachers, you know. And it's a process. And just like you said, you know, there's a significant amount of time dealing with the trauma, the skill sets, the purpose, like this isn't an overnight thing. And I think culturally right now and in our society, there's this instant gratification where if we don't get something right away, we almost feel this guilt or shame, like, oh, that didn't work for me. And we move to the next versus continuing in a process that might take time and we might have to have the patience Right. It's like that. a diet, like diets just don't work. It's right. been proven over and over again. You know, right. diets have made America obese. <laughs> they don't work. It's the opposite because what resists persists. Right. So if you want, you know, instantaneous things to happen, it's resisting the process. It's like a judgment that didn't happen right away, which makes it even compound and just, just doesn't work. Right. So when you're working with people to help them move them through the subconscious patterning, the programming that has been instilled through the DNA, through the lifetimes, through their childhood, through the media, social conditioning, their best friend as a kid, you know, all of these things, right, that create these imprints on our life. Do you have any steps or tools that the listener could take right away and implement or start doing right away? So the analogy I use of subconscious is like a computer. So if you're looking at your phone or computer right now, the hardware, you can actually touch the computer, right? Or your phone. Our bodies, if you touch your body, that's like our hardware. Then inside of the computer or your phone is what's considered the software. You can upgrade it. You can downgrade it. can get glitches in it. Our belief system is our software of us. And then if you take memory, the computer has great memory or not great memory. For us, we have memory that lives in every cell. Our subconscious is actually linked into what's called the Kaushik records, which has the memory of everything, right? So you can have the greatest computer, the greatest programming, the greatest memory, but if you don't have an operator, it's not going to do anything. Well, same with you. You're not your body. You're not your beliefs. You're not your memory. You are the spiritual being operating as this, okay? So when we're getting into subconscious work, it's simple. It is mental pictures. When you have a glitch in your computer, it's because usually there's too many programs running. There's too many files open. It's all jumbled, all these things. So as we go into subconscious work, what we do is we're organizing your computer. We're organizing all the mental pictures that have ever happened and we're completing the cycle. So trauma is really about taking the charge. It's completing the cycle of whatever that, save a document and you open it up and there's all kinds of stuff going on. You've got to complete it, close it, save it, shut it down. So it's the same with trauma. You want to actually pull up that mental picture. And this is why you can do it in meditation and really do it gently, or I would recommend and getting a practitioner, but if you can't afford that, then you can at least pull the mental picture up in meditation, as long as not too traumatic and you got to be careful with trauma, right? Mm -hmm. But, and you want to basically neutralize it. So what we do is we do prolonged therapy. We scan over it. We re-experience it over and over. And what you want to do is when you're remembering it and re-experiencing it, you don't want to put any meaning on it. 
you don't want to put any valuation or story around it because that's what re-energizes the mental picture and you will actually keep that trauma going. But if you just simply experience the emotion and as is and really not resist the emotion, the emotion can decharge and you can begin to just neutralize that experience, the traumatic experience, and really allow yourself to just as is it. It doesn't mean it was a good thing. It doesn't mean it was a bad thing. It just, it happened. It happened, mm. right? So we just want to neutralize it. And then we also want to look at another thing. We want to look at what decisions you made in that traumatic experience. We want to look at the commands, the limiting beliefs that you embedded in your subconscious in that traumatic incident. So when you're freed up and you neutralize that memory, and you also are able to take a look at what commands and limiting beliefs you decided, you can begin to pull them up from subconscious and begin to become aware and begin to have freedom of choice the next time you're triggered. So the freedom of choice comes from recognizing that your commands are operating from this. Yes, that you created those commands. And in just recognizing that, you realize that the same energy and decision to command that limiting belief is the same energy that you can go, you know what, I can choose something different in this moment. Yeah. I find a lot of people ask me this question. So I'm curious your thoughts on it is that, okay, so I know that my trauma is allowing me to operate from this place, or I'm making these commands from this place or, or energizing from this place. But then when I neutralize it, I don't have a new story. Like I don't have a new belief system. I don't have a more positive, uplifting experience. Do you think that's because they're not tapping that part in themselves or because they haven't seen a different story or or what would you tell them in that? Hey there, friend. Are you loving this podcast? I want to continue to support you. So the simplest way to do this is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and pop into the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you never, ever miss any details of our new projects, products, upcoming events, or issues that are near or dear to my heart. You're also going to get access to the movement. This is the inner circle of people just like you standing in their power to bring more truth and a new level of consciousness where all individuals get to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So pop on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. Okay, so this is a great question. And it's so that they have a practice to actually instill the truth and the new story in. And so the same incident that is a traumatic incident, which we define as being something that happens where you have high, high state of negative emotion backed by a limiting belief. That's what I would consider a traumatic incident. Okay. So the opposite is true. You can get into a high, high ecstatic state and command in the truth and possibility. So what you want to do is you want to do both. You want to neutralize the negative traumatic incidents and you also want to have a daily practice. We call it prayer, right? Or you can call it incantations like Tony Robbins does, right? He gets into a high, high state of a positive state and does his affirmations, right? So you want to balance it out instead of just having some story that you don't really believe like, oh, I'm abundant and da, da, da. It's not going to do anything. It's not until you get into that high ecstatic state and you get into that state where it is your subconscious is at a high, high vibration and you decide the truth, you declare the truth, you affirm right in that moment moment and you believe it at a cellular level. Right. So the incantations, for example, I remember when I went to Tony Robbins, it was, we were actually moving and screaming 
and like yes. jumping and we were pattern interrupting. And so that's different than just saying, okay, well, I'm not going to operate from this place. And I kind of believe this affirmation. I'm going to say, I love my body, but I don't really know. Like that's a very different energy than jumping and screaming and being in that space or being in a state of prayer. Exactly. And most people go to a Tony Robbins and they'll do it just for those, you know, three days or seven days. And then they go home and they don't practice it. And then they go, well, why was I so motivated? And now I'm not because they're not practicing it. So all this work works if you work it, as they say, right? It's just, it has to become a daily spiritual practice. How many years of your life did you stay in negativity and those limiting stories? And then now you want instantaneous, you know, results from one seminar you went to for three days. Like it's not going to stick. You got to work it. Right. I love the honesty of it <laughs> because yeah. you know, there's a lot of marketing right now. Like, cause I'm not your guru. <laughs> my space, like, save you. And like, you're going to lose 10 pounds in 10 days. And it's just, you know, think of how many years it took to get to the place you're in. So, totally. yeah. So I love that. I also love this idea, which you talk a lot about and you just shared, which is that you're not your actual thoughts and you're not your feelings and you're not your belief system. So I'm curious you know, if someone were to argue that or say, but I think these thoughts all day long, they must be part of me. How would you move them through that process of recognizing that we aren't actually our thoughts? They aren't actually who we are at our core. I guess for one, I wouldn't resist wherever they're at, you know, because as a practitioner or someone who's a spiritual coach or someone who's really doing miracle work, it is the consciousness that heals. So if I go in and I'm speaking to somebody and I'm resisting their consciousness. I'm actually holding it in place. So as much as we think the client is needing upgrading, it's us that needs upgrading. I'm just as much in session as anybody that's in front of me. And the greatest gift we can ever give anybody is a pure consciousness to know the perfection of wherever they're at. Because it really is just a pretense that it's a pretense. They're already God. They're already spirit. They're already the allness. Mm -hmm. So they're just having this dynamic experience of pretending to not be. And do you feel that if we were all tapping into that, I mean, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but if we were all tapping into that, I believe this, we would have less of the comparison, the less of the looking and judging and the holding of the wound and those practices where we look and we judge because it's our own pain that we're experiencing. Look, the reality is that if we want something that is resisting what is. So it's just so funny because if we desire, we desire to have a skinnier body. We desire to be like the filtered Instagram model. We have desire, whatever. That exact energy is what's holding it back. So it's all counterintuitive, right? It's like it's completely against how we are programmed to use mind. Mm-hmm. And so I just say the best thing we can ever do is get a better problem. Because look, we don't lose weight by you know generally trying to focus on not eating the donut. We lose weight by focusing on the art that we want to create. And we just happen to like forget about food in the process. You know what I mean? Like, and we make better choices because we want better energy when we're doing our art. Like, so, I mean, yes, we want to get educated in the food that we eat, but I'm a believer also in balance and that it's okay to have, you know, a little bit of junk. I just feel like for me coming from somebody who's bulimic, I don't believe in scales and I don't believe in diets. And I believe it's about just love and focusing on something greater, you know, focus on serving. So focus on making a difference in the world. And all of a sudden the problems of the diet go away. Yeah, I love that. And I love the idea of when we look at something else and judge, we're holding resistance from creating what we actually want. 
or embodying. Mm-hmm. And so does that embodiment come through an emotion or a feeling and activating that? Like, what is your thoughts on that? What do you mean? So if you were to want to manifest, right, create, mm-hmm. hold a vision of your future through visualization or, or bringing more of these things into your life, Sure. Through emotion and feeling, or what is your belief on the actual? Sure. Well, one, we have to know we're manifesting 24 7. That's all we do is manifest. There's nothing neutral about the soul. The soul, the minute that we even consider it, sets polarity into the entire structure of the universe. But yes, if we want to manifest something, say we want to manifest a great partner or you know, a healthy body or more money or whatever it is, we have to embody. So I'm all about embodying. It's not about, you can sit and visualize all day and you might have something come into your life. But if you're not embodying the principles, like for example, say you want a great partner and you sit there and you visualize and then all of a sudden you meet this great partner. But then when, you know, the smallest things happen and you react and you, you know, start to sabotage it, right? Like you have to embody the principles and you can have the greatest, hottest, you know, richest guy. I show up on your doorstep, but if you are, you know, have scarcity mentality and and you're not mentally equivalent of what that person would expect in their partner, you know, you're not going to keep it. It's like, you know, Michael Beckwith uses the analogy of the criminal that steals the car. He can't have it because he doesn't have the consciousness to sustain, you know, income that comes in to pay that car and, and sustain it. You can get it, but you can't keep it. So it's all about embodying. It's all about embodying. It's not what you, you know, sitting there and visualizing it. It's about embodying the, of course, the mindset that all that, but also the skill set that comes along with all of it. Right. Right. I think the skill set is often very overlooked. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that analogy. I really love his work. (laughs) So great. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's amazing. So I wanted to talk about sisterhood because Mm -hmm. I think this is something so many women ask me about and something that we both believe so strongly in, and that's something that has been your mission to create, you know, community of women and so forth. And so I wanted to hear a little bit about the work you're doing and Mm. the community you're building and just how important sisterhood is. For me, it's an accountability piece. It's a connection piece. It's a feeling safe space with people that are connected. So there's many things for me, but I'm curious what it was for you to really say, okay, this is what I want to create in the world. Yeah, so great. I mean, first, I just want to acknowledge you and Ashley Stahl and all the amazing women that we have this great group of women that come together for things, just as friends, not as intentional as our actual membership group type thing. Well, I know you do a lot of masterminds with some of them, but so I created Soul Society and Soul Society's vision is to be the number one spiritual leaders community in the world committed to enlightenment, empowerment, and entrepreneurship. Our mission is to awaken a billion people globally. And how we will do that is by developing world-class spiritual leaders. So for me, why, and my motivation for it was I wanted to create what I wanted and what I wanted as the younger version of myself. You know, when I was searching and trying to figure out these spiritual principles, I didn't have anywhere to go. There was a a few spiritual centers, but there were some things that didn't really work for me. And so I wanted to create a group, a community of people that were committed to doing their inner healing work with the intention of being able to make a difference in the world and take truth out to the world. And I wanted to be online and offline and kind of be a whole networking thing. When I created Soul Society, I knew the technology, I knew the information that we were teaching is 
on point because I've been in this industry forever and I just know what I'm teaching is the real deal. But I had no idea the level of sisterhood, the level of the love of the women for each other, the level of them collaborating and partnering on things and supporting each other and having accountability. And oh my gosh, it's blown my mind. It's been incredible. Yeah. It's so, so beautiful to see. I know when I worked in the fashion world, it was like, I dreamt of the day that I would have a community of women, but I also wasn't aware that there were these communities. I wasn't, I wasn't aware that women wanted to support one another or be like, come over and have tea and let's talk about your business from a place of just genuine care versus there's something I need to get, or I'm trying to get something from you or so forth. And so the fact that there's space now being created and that we're stepping into this new world where we're all in this together and we all want to support one another and bring each other up is really, I think, going to be the thing that transforms. Totally. And, and there's going to be, there's a tribe for everyone. You know, if you're into salsa dancing and da, 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 I'm sure there's a tribe there's a tribe for you. If you're into, you know, yoga and vegan, there's a tribe, whatever it is that you truly like, there's tribes popping up all over the place. I hear this question a lot where people are resistant to leave their current friends or their community. Mm. They're they're deeming their community, right? But a community they feel isn't serving them to step into a new space and have the courage to do that. You recommend that? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I remember, I'm sure you remember also when you start getting into this work and you start living on principle and you start doing things like not complaining, like some people love to complain and they actually can't handle not complaining. So I don't think it's about like, I don't think people necessarily, yes, there might be a time where you need to make the decision to leave that environment because if you can't stand peace and you can't do whatever, then if you understood how powerful you are, you would know that you don't want to ever not be in peace. You're hurting yourself and you're not allowing the abundance of the universe to stream through. But so for some people, they may have to actually leave an environment. But for others, I would say, just stay true to your principles and the people weed themselves out of your life and other people will weed themselves in. And I love how we actually, as you embody more truth, you mirror other people, insecurities and so forth. And like you said, they weave out where they just can't be in your presence because they love to complain. Or yeah, right. You know, it's amazing. Like, they just take themselves out of the game. You're yeah, not doing anything. They want the energy of drama or pain or suffering. And when you start to say, well, that's not going to be my experience, it actually shifts their experience. And then they're like, well, this, does, this isn't a match for me anymore either, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Isn't that the miracle of all of it though? When we do our work, even like our family heals, we don't even have to do anything. We don't have to go, oh, let's all go to therapy. Like we just kind of do our work. And then it's amazing how it just kind of makes everyone heal at some level. It's Mm -hmm. a profound thing I've witnessed over and over again in my own family and many of my clients' families. Yeah, it's wild. I, I noticed too, when I took some time away from my family and I really started to do my own work, it was like they were getting intrigued, like, what are, what are you doing over there? You're really happy. You're positive. Like, what's happening? Slowly, I started to, from a distance, started integrating the practices and sending them things. And then they started to embody these beliefs as well, which was really amazing to see. So sometimes it is, for me, it was taking a little bit of space and doing my own work, but then also sending back the tools and the resources and allowing them to do it on their own time. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any last words of advice, insight, things you're working on, anything exciting that you want to share? I mean, I'm sure 
everyone that's listening is going to hop over to your website and learn more, which I'm so Uh excited about. But are there any last words? That's a great question. I guess I just would say, you know, find people that are going to hold you in the highest. I think that that's the greatest thing. And there's things like 12 step that are free. There's all kinds of different things that are free out there. There's obviously groups that are high-end coaching groups also. But I would say, you know, having a center or having a community that holds you on the principles that you really care about. They say, you know, even in biology belief, you know, we can change our chromosomes and change our our entire outpicturing of our DNA by the environment that we put ourselves in. But we choose to put ourselves in that environment. So it always comes down to consciousness. So pick your environment. It's imperative. If you want to excel, if you want to have success, it's really important to pick who you're putting yourself around and what environment you're in. Where can people find you? Where can people join? Oh, well, you can find me on IG. I think that's where we all hang out the most, right? So it's like my IG is drerin.tv, which is dr. E-R-I-N.tv. And that's also one of my websites. And then Society, which is S-O-U-L-C-I-E-T-E, which is all about the membership group. And then I have the show, Good Morning La La Land. And we live stream every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And we're America's first daily live streaming talk show all about positivity, inspiration, and showcasing people's stories of triumph. We're kind of like Oprah meets the morning show. So... It's a great way to wake up. So if you don't know about it, definitely jump on that. I have an app and a a podcast as well. My podcast is Dr. Aaron and apps Dr. Aaron as well. So all that good stuff. All amazing places to find you, resources to get for free, coaching you can join. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Sarah, I just want to say to the listeners out there, Obviously, you're tuning in because this is an extraordinary woman. And I just have to say, Sarah, you've touched my life in so many ways. You have no idea, you know, the times and the events that you've had conscious people come together. It is so inspiring and it's so confirming. And I just want to say thank you so much. You're such a light and such a love. And I look forward to getting to know you even more. Thank you, love. Thank you so much. I'm just beyond grateful for you and all that you do for the world. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I'm sure we'll do this again. I so appreciate you. And Thank you so much. I am so grateful that Dr. Aaron was able to share with you so many different mindset shifts to create more health and happiness in your life. I'm also a huge believer that reprogramming the subconscious mind is one of the most critical components to rediscovering healing. By the mere fact that you are here, I trust that you are capable of overcoming any beliefs that are currently keeping you stuck. And I trust that you are well on your way to creating a new level of awareness for more joy in your life. This week, I encourage you to get curious and experiment with breaking old habits by interrupting habits that no longer serve you and implementing something new. What is one thing you could shift this week that you do every day that would radically change your life? If it feels challenging to try something new, start with just one day. I want to encourage you to step out of this old programming and patterning and give yourself permission to try something new. Never forget that you are the top expert when it comes to your health, your body, and your life. This podcast is intended to be a source of inspiration, and in each different cast, you're going to encounter a lot of different concepts and approaches, but I always encourage you to take what resonates and leave what doesn't. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for committing to your health, and thank you for listening. I'm so grateful. Until the next episode, have the most beautiful week ahead. 
All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.